0: Well, again, good morning. so glad that you're, you're here today. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor uh, here as we continue to gather around this, this book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that, that Paul wrote. Uh, and if you're new especially, I just want to even make it clear, like if you heard those words read a few minutes ago and you're like, okay, we're going to talk about that today. Um, maybe you're like thinking we're going to like literally kick somebody out today or that, that's we're, we're working through 1 Corinthians, okay? Uh, so we are, there's context here. Um, we might be. <laughs> Pay attention to find out who. So no. Um sorry. It's really not that funny. Uh it's pretty serious what Paul is talking about here. Um, but we we are in the midst of this series and we, we want to take we want to take God's word seriously as we look at these things. Well I uh I just I discovered a new website recently. It's called uh, faceplusplus.com. You're all gonna go home and give it a try, I know. Um, and essentially what you do is you, you upload a picture of yourself. So here's my, my staff photo. Uh, and then it, uh, it you know, analyzes every detail of your face uh, and then uses that very scientific information uh, to tell you which celebrity you happen to look most like. Okay? Um, th- this is important stuff, right? People need to know this. And I, I know uh, none of you will be surprised here, but uh, Justin Timberlake and Brad Pitt, right? <laughs> I mean, I always knew, um, but it's good, to, it's good to finally have some proof, you know? Uh, it feels, it feels kind of good. And I could get, I get see that uh, some of you uh, look skeptical, okay? I had a hunch that would be the case, so we did a close-up shot trying to compare here. Huh? Huh? Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm bringing something back, that's for sure. Um from now on, I mean, this is science, people, all right? Argue with the authorities on this. Uh, from now on, when I look in the mirror, that's, that, is, that is what I'm going going to see, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to see that. Um, and just, just for the record, uh, I don't look like him. Uh, he looks like me, okay? <laughs> now, I, I, did, uh, I did upload a more recent photo um, as well because I wanted to test the theory, and it came up with these guys. Um, so... I'm going to go with that one being a glitch and the other one uh, being, being the accurate one. Um, but this is, okay, so there, there's, this is going somewhere, okay? Um, this is what we've been talking about together for the last six weeks in Corinthians. Um, believe me, it is, okay? You may not, you may not get it there yet, but that, this is it's what we've been talking about. Not how awesome I am, but how awesome I think I am. Because that is the story of the Corinthians, isn't it? They are living a lie when they look in the mirror they think they see Jesus and they are smug and self-assured and a complete mess and just like all of you looking at me Paul sees them a little bit clearer than they see themselves and so he spent the first four chapters of this letter that we've been studying together, four chapters really laying the groundwork, essentially saying that spiritual pride, there's no room for spiritual pride in light of the cross, right? A crucified Messiah, how can you be proud, right, of anything? Uh, there's just no, no room for it. And this morning then, he transitions in chapter 5, begin tackling some of their specific issues, the things that are actually going on there in their church that they're, that they're dealing with. And there is no place where self-deception is more powerful, more pervasive, and more perilous than when it comes to the sin that lives in here. Nothing is more deceptive than sin. And nothing is more destructive than sin. And nothing is more likely to destroy a community, a church, than being okay with it. Paul says, don't be deceived, deal with sin, or it will deal with us. So first of all, these next few weeks, really, we're going to be tackling some of these specific issues that, that are happening there in the church. So this week, we're going to talk about that messy situation that we read a moment ago. We'll kind of unpack what's going on there and really get to the heart, hopefully, of what, what's happening. Uh, next week, we'll look at the fact that they are actually in the church. There are some who are defrauding one another uh, and then retaliating with lawsuits, kind of going, going back and forth. there in their small church community. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll look at how some of them in the church are actually trying to make theological excuses, reasons, for visiting a whorehouse. It's going to be interesting, right? I mean, there's a lot of messy things that are going on here. And if you heard, if you heard these words read, if you can remember back to some of them that were said, we'll, we'll look at them. At first glance, it just kind of feels like Paul's blowing it all out of proportion, doesn't it? really? We're going to do this? We're going to treat sin like that? Kick this guy out, he says? Don't be deceived. Deal with sin or it will deal with us. And so we're going to walk through this. We're going to see three things. Sin should break our hearts. Sin is both destructive and contagious. And sin must be dealt with. This is a hard subject. We need God's help. Why don't we pray and ask him not to speak this morning? God, God, I feel so inadequate to talk about a subject like this because I know the sin uh, that continues to, to rise up within me so often. I know how broken I am. And every one of us here, we are all broken. We all have so many regrets, things that we're ashamed of. And God, we, we want to be a people who loves and cares for one another, and yet we, uh, we want to live the life that you've called and created us to. Help us to see how those things inter- intersect, God, and that we would hear from you. God, help us to understand these difficult words. And if there are things that I say that are unhelpful or completely untrue, God, I pray that they would be quickly forgotten. And for the things that are from you that are rooted in your word, God, I pray that you'd root them deep into our hearts through your spirit. And God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who redeems us, who forgives us, even for when we make these kinds of mistakes. And so we trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. So first, first, sin should should break our hearts but they're actually proud of it in Corinth. I mean, they're, they're kind of like bragging about how open-minded they are. We're so progressive, right? We love grace this much. And so Paul's like, well, well good for you, right? Um, fine. And, and he spent all, these time, all this time, these chapters, talking about the dangers of spiritual pride. And so now in chapter 5, even though it is kind of a new section, it, it's basically spiritual pride exhibit A. Here, here's one of the ways it looks like when we're, when we're proud, when we're arrogant, when we think we've got it together. Let me read beginning in verse 1. Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, his, his stepmom, and you are arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. It's sort of like something straight out of a Woody Allen film, right? Or Woody Allen's life. And honestly, if you're here this morning and you're a, a stepmom or a stepson, it's, it's about to get a little weird, okay? Uh, because this, this grown man, right, in this situation, is involved in a sexual relationship with his father's wife, with his stepmom. And Paul is like, okay, not even the pagans think this is okay. And that, that, that term pagan there, it's not a pejorative term, at least not in the way that Paul is using it. Sometimes maybe we use it that way and we shouldn't. But for, for Paul, it's just a way of describing all of the pluralistic people around them in Rome, in Corinth. Even, even they aren't okay with this. And if you know your history or or some of of the cultural setting in which they're found there, I mean, that's that's actually saying a lot, okay? Uh, Because in in Rome, ancient Rome, they didn't have a whole lot of sexual taboos. I mean, sometimes we as Christians, uh, we look look around and we we kind of freak out a little bit as if the sky is falling and everything is sort of brand new. And I'm not not making light of the cultural situation in which we find ourselves, but there's, there's nothing new under the sun, I mean, in Rome, it was common and acceptable uh, to, on a regular basis, go and visit prostitutes. Just consider part of life. It's what we do. And it was common and acceptable for men uh, to molest young boys as, as long as they were of, of kind of a lower class than themselves. It was just fine. Rape in some circumstances, orgies, even, even some evidence of, of gay marriage and transgender identities. People, there is there is nothing new under the sun but Paul says that when these Corinthians, these Romans, peer in through the church windows, even they're like, "Whoa, that's that, that's too much, right? You've you've crossed you've crossed the line here." But don't don't miss this. This is this is really important because this isn't this isn't a sermon on not uh, having a relationship in that way with your stepmom, okay? That, that's just not what it is. I mean, rule of thumb, maybe don't. Um, but that, that's, that's really not what's going on here because Paul is not, he's not shocked at the sin. He's not shocked that there's sin in the church and, and neither should we be. I mean, look, look around us. We're a bunch of broken people. Of course there's gonna be sin in the church. But what shocks and outrages Paul is that they're okay with it, that they're, they're proud of it, you know? Um, abusing God's grace and refusing to actually deal with it. I mean, the biggest problem there in this situation—it's not the sin itself; it's the church's reaction to the sin. It's far worse than what's going on. And you know, we do the same, don't we? I mean, maybe not in the same way, right? We're a little bit sneakier about it. But I mean, essentially, we read something in there we don't really like. I mean, even even as Christians, right? That we don't it makes us uncomfortable, and so we we kind of get out our scissors and start hacking away. I mean, maybe not maybe not really, but. We explain it, well, that doesn't apply to me or my situation or, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with us now or, you know, we we kind of just quickly push it aside and then after our our cutting, we we pat ourselves on the back for how much we've evolved and we're proud. We're so open-minded. Paul says, shouldn't you be mourning right now? Shouldn't you be weeping Can we really be okay with these things? I find it really interesting today that if you label something as sin or even more on a more personal level, if someone were to call you out on your sins, your your junk, whatever it is, somebody in your life coming to you and say, hey, that's probably not a good idea. We label them as arrogant, don't we? Paul says it's just the opposite. Paul says it's when we ignore sin when we push it aside and we pretend that it's all okay, that we, we are the arrogant ones. And so he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Deal with sin or it will deal with us. Man, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? Can you really kick him out? Is that what we're gonna do? Well... I think we quickly go there, quickly feel like it's, it's too extreme. I mean, I wrestle with this personally. Like, how do we even process this? And I think it's because we don't think sin's that big of a deal. I, I tend to not think that, at least my own sense, right? Others maybe, but when I look at myself, it's so easy to just to forget, to underestimate how incredibly destructive and contagious sin really is. I mean, what's hard for me to get my mind around in this passage is that Paul urges the church to do this for this guy's own good. I mean, it's, it's clearly there what he's saying, right? Look at, look at verse 5, for example. This verse is, this is a, it's an interesting one. He says, uh, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Hmm. Now, I could just sort of try to make something up here. Um, I'm not going to. I, I, I don't fully understand that whole section there. There's a lot happening that Paul is saying that I, I, mean, I studied. I read some commentary. I, all, I, I don't know exactly what Paul is saying, but there, there are two things I do know, two things that are pretty obvious, I think, for all of us, right? As we, as we read that verse, that, that section there, uh, one is that being handed over to Satan is not a good thing, right? I mean, I, I think we can all sort of agree this is, this is not going to be pleasant for this individual, And I think really what what Paul is getting at here, uh, this idea is that we live in such a different culture. Uh, The Corinthian church, that was it for this guy. I mean, if he wanted a place to be in community with others who worshiped Jesus, who saw the world completely differently, who broke bread and drank wine together in communion, this was it. And so by removing him from the church, they were separating him out into the hostile environment of the world around them. It's not a good thing. And it's, and it's going to hurt. But the other thing I know, it's obvious here, is that Paul says, says to do this painful thing for this guy's good. So that his, his soul may be saved. Which is a really, a really good thing. And so often we want to be loving, don't we? Yeah, we we do. We want so badly to love others and to love them well, but what Paul is saying here is that sometimes ignoring sin can be the least unloving thing we can do in another person's life. Just letting it go, sweeping under the rug, pretending it's not really there. You see, sin. We underestimate it, but sin is rebellion against the God who made us. I mean, sin at, at its core is a a refusal to to trust. And trust in Jesus, that's the only thing that, that saves us. It's not, it's not how good you are at, at avoiding the big sins, right, or at least keeping them hidden away in your life. Paul's not saying that, that if this guy had just been a little bit, you know, better, a little bit more moral, then Jesus would have loved him and accepted him. That's nothing like that there. And yet the way we live our lives reflects who we trust. And, and a life that is lived entrenched in sin, not, not, not merely fighting sin. We all fight, right, and sometimes we fail. But wallowing in it reveals a heart that wants nothing to do with Jesus, that at its core refuses to trust that his way could possibly be better than mine. And it reveals a heart destined for eternity separated from him. So imagine, for for example, imagine you're in a burning building. And as you are evacuating, you see this guy asleep on a couch over in the corner. He's just oblivious, right, to the, the problem, the danger that he's in. I mean, I don't want to be rude, right? And he, he, he surely knows what's best for him. I, who, who am I to wake him up in that moment? And maybe you hear that and you like, come on, Nathan. This is ridiculous. Nobody dies from sin. Are you kidding? That's what everybody dies from. Death wouldn't even exist if not for sin. And every sin is a kind of death. I recently read the, the Giver series a couple months ago. Um, the first one's the most well-known. It was just recently made into a movie, but I, I read a, all four of them. And what intrigued me, particularly in the third and fourth book, the first one's the best one, but the, in the third and fourth book, there's this character called the Trade Master. Um, And the trade master is essentially evil incarnate, uh, convincing people to choose things of great value for things of little value, which is essentially what what sin is, right? Uh, it's, It's trading something that is good for something that we are wrongly convinced is going to be better. So, for example, if you give the trade master your honor, then he'll give you the approval of others all around you. Or you give him your integrity, and he'll give you riches beyond your wildest imagination. At first glance, right, from one perspective, it seems like a really good deal, doesn't it? And yet he always takes way more than he gives. And ultimately, we trade life for death. And what's so interesting in this book, and I don't, I don't know anything about Lois Lowry, I don't know her faith background or, any, or anything like that, but what's so interesting there is, is that for those involved in these trades, it doesn't just ruin them, although it certainly does. And it doesn't just ruin their relationships, although it certainly does, and you see that. It ruins the entire community, the entire village, even the entire created order around them slowly begins to disintegrate. And that's, that's what sin does. That's what it did with our world, and we continue to see it. I think that's what Paul's getting at in verses six through eight this kind of strange section about the leaven and the lump and the bread. And it's, it's a baking metaphor. But he's he's getting at how contagious and and destructive sin sin can be. So essentially there, uh, leaven was fermented dough. Uh, You'd like save part of it back for the next batch of dough so that the bread would rise. Uh, Literally so that the bread would puff up, uh, which I think is kind of interesting given the context here, right? Not unlike the egos of the Corinthians, that it would puff them up, he says. And once it gets worked into the dough, there's just no going back, Right? You can't get it out again. It's there and it will puff it up regardless of what we do or say. It's it's sort of the inevitability, Paul is saying. And you don't have to be a Christian to see how sin spreads, right? In in homes, communities, and cultures, You you don't have to be a Christian to see that. I mean, like a cancer, untreated, sin spreads and it devours. So Paul says, get rid of the old leaven. Cleanse it out. Sin must be dealt with or it will deal with us. But what does that even mean? I mean what, does it, what does it look like? I mean, can we just sort of kick everybody out, including ourselves, and call it a day, right? I mean, is that what Paul is really wanting? Because we, we all know, right, how we struggle and how we deal with these things. I mean, what, what exactly are we supposed to do? Verse, verse 9 gives us a little bit more help, uh, kind of through the end there. Let me read, read there, verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, so he wrote a previous letter to them, um, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, uh, since then you would need to go out of the world. Essentially, you have to kill yourself if you're going to do that, right? There's no, you can't escape it, verse 11 then. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or swindler. See, it's not, it's not just the weird issue that's happening in this church, any of these things. Not even to eat with such a one. For what, what have I to do with judging outsiders? This is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Anybody still feeling a little unsettled here? Yeah, probably. I am. I mean, this makes makes me uncomfortable to even try to figure out what this is. This is hard stuff that Paul hits us with here. And I think if we're going to try to make sense of what he's getting at here, and what it looks like in, in our context here uh, today, then I think we have to begin by sort of breaking it down into the context of three different relationships. And, and we see those relationships in, the, in those verses. Uh, first with ourselves, uh, second with those who are outside, uh, and then third, uh, and most complicated, those who, who are inside. But you, you've got to start with yourself. I have to start with myself. Because I, I love to point out the, the splinter in other people's eyes you know, meanwhile, big old telephone poles jetting out of mine. We're good at that. We can spot in another person, you know, like that. It's just, it's, it's just so easy, and we actually kind of enjoy it sometimes. But we got to start with ourselves. What are, what are the sins that are killing you, or at least have the potential to destroy you? Your relationships, the people you love the most, your ability to, to trust and to, to seek out what, what are those things for you? I mean, he gives us a list, right? Because it's not just about that w- a weird relationship. He, he broadens it. He says that any sexual sin, greed, idolatry, being a reviler or a slanderer or a gossip even, it's part of that word, being a drunkard or a cheat. And by no means is this list meant to be exhaustive. And what, what kind of happens to me when I see this list I just kind of feel like it's sort of the normal stuff, right? I mean, nothing all that dramatic on there. For the most part, things that we as a whole have just sort of accepted as it's just kind of the way we do it, right? It's how we roll. How we love to harp on the sins out there while things like greed and gossip flourish in here. And if sin thrives in your heart, it will destroy you and the people around you. And it will affect your church. And so, for example, God says, it's, it's not okay to sleep with your boyfriend or, or to live together or to look at pornography. It's not, it's not okay to blow off some steam gossiping with a friend. It's not okay, uh, like everybody else in our culture, right, to make our children into idols and everything about them. It's, it's not okay. It's not okay to allow materialism and greed, things that flourish in a place like this. It's not okay to let those things go unchecked. Sin is not okay. And if before we just look at them and complain about them and you know, point out all, all of their mistakes, we need to go back to the mirror, sort of that we talked about at the beginning. I need to go back there and come to grips with the fact that, that Mr. Timberlake and I really don't have that much in common. We, we need to see ourselves for who we really are. We have to begin with ourselves. My sin is not okay. And so before we we talk about confronting others, we've got to ask, am I confrontable? Am I the kind of person that the people around me can confront? And for some of us, that might actually mean telling people in your life, hey, if you see me blowing it, would you tell me? If I'm in the burning, wake me up, please. I I might hate you for it in the moment. But would you please call me out if you see it in my life? I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why church membership is so important. We don't, we don't talk a lot about that, but when you become a member of a church, you're giving the church explicit permission to call you out. To say, this this in your life, this is, this is not the way it should be. To do it, hopefully, out of love and grace, and by his grace, hopefully we will, we will do that together, but we've got to start with ourselves. Second, uh, with outsiders. We've got to ooze grace. Ooze grace. If you're not a Christian, let me even just talk specifically to you. If you're not a believer and you're here this morning, we are so glad that you're here. We love that you have come. Uh, don't know why, maybe. You've got, maybe because of questions, maybe because of a family member, uh, but we are really glad that you're here. We want to be a place where you can you can try to figure out with us what it means to take this book seriously and, and to follow this, this guy named Jesus. Um, we, we want that here. And Paul makes it really clear, doesn't he? You probably even notice this, that we ought to look at your sins very different from our own, which means... We as Christians, we need to apologize. I, I'm sorry, because we've, we've so blown it there. We've become experts at looking at your sins, and we, we don't even hardly notice the glaring ones in our own lives. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for the ways that we can be so self-righteous and so judgmental. Paul, Paul makes it very clear that we, we're, we're to look at you very differently. I don't, I don't mean that in a, in a way that says, like, your sins don't matter, because, I mean, sin is destructive anywhere it's found, no matter what you believe. And God will be the judge. Paul says that as well, um, but so often we've we've blown it, and, I, and I'm sorry that we have Let me just let me just say though that um, at the very least, even though we have so much to learn, it's because we love you. I think at least at least here at least at least I think for me, it's because we love you. We don't we don't want you to miss out on something so much better. We don't want you to make the wrong trade. We want you to see and experience who this Jesus is. We think. We think life is, is better that way. We want to meet you where you are. Because that's where Jesus met us. And if you're a Christian, don't, for, don't forget that's where Jesus met you. So with outsiders, you've got to ooze grace. And third, and this is indeed where it gets messiest. So what does this look like for Insiders. That's really where we get the most sort of traction here in this text. Is what does it look like for others who, who believe, right, or claim to believe? How do, we, how do we deal with this within the church? We need lots of help here. With is we love till it hurts. We kick him out of the church, really. We don't even eat with him, really. Now, we've got to keep in mind, this is, this is really important, don't miss this. We've got to keep in mind that this is a case study, not, not a command, um and that there's a there's a difference there and a really important difference i mean paul is writing about a specific situation in a specific church and telling them this is this is the way it should be should be handled and to simply assume that paul means for us to be to do the exact same thing in every situation uh, is just not found in the text it's not there right he's talking to them about about their their circumstances and we often see case studies in scripture as opposed to clear commands, right? We're not talking about things that God clearly says it should be like this or not like this. There's lots of case studies and those don't get us off the hook, okay? Um, But they make the work a little bit harder because with a case study, you have to figure out what are the principles behind this uh, that is driving Paul to say that these are the things to do. We we cannot just come to it as sort of a, a one size fits all. And so we have to ask here, what is Paul's goal and what would accomplish that same goal today I mean, his goal is pretty, pretty obvious, I think there's two of them. It's obvious. I mean first and foremost, it's the restoration of this individual, that he would hear this confrontation and he, he would see the destructive path that he's on, and that he would come back to Jesus, right? That, that's, that's the goal. And the second goal is, is also really important, it's similar. it's that the church would be protected, because sin spreads. It is contagious, and the last thing uh, the watching world needs to see when they peer in here is some guy sleeping with his stepmom. What they need to see is Jesus. That's our job. That's our role to put him on display in everything we do, everywhere we go. And so uh, what then restores and protects today? What would that look like? I mean, would kicking somebody out, um, would that restore them today? Maybe. And I think there are situations in which that's necessary. We've, we've had some of those conversations here as a church. They are painful. I've been a part of some of those. It hurts. It's ugly, and it's pretty rare, honestly. I think more and more in a culture like those ours, uh, that should be the exception, not the norm, because so often that doesn't actually push a person towards restoration, and that's the hard part, right? If that's part of the goal, um, our culture is so different, right? If that, all that person is likely to do is just go find another place that's a little bit more acceptable, accepting of, of, of what they've chosen, right? They're not gonna be actually forced to deal with their sins, to, to feel the need to move into to restoration. But how is this possibly loving? I mean, are we really just gonna shoot our wounded? And some of you probably have witnessed this kind of thing go horribly wrong in the church before. But there's a big difference between being shunned and being disciplined. Big difference. We don't shun people. To shun somebody, there's no desire for relationship, no desire for restoration. It's not at all loving. It's, it's you are icky, and I can't, I don't want to be anywhere near you, right? Uh, it's, it's a complete, complete break. Discipline is very different. I mean, we, we know that, don't we, as parents? And frankly, you don't have to be a parent to know that. We see it with the way that we, we discipline our kids. We do it out of love for, for their good. And kids, I'm sorry, some of you are, are in here, right? I don't, I don't mean any, dis, any disrespect for this, because I think we adults are the same way. Um, but we as parents, we discipline you because you can't always see uh, where your path is taking you, right? Uh, You can't necessarily see uh, the weight of the consequences of, of where you're heading, and we don't grow out of that, people, right? We don't. When you are in the midst of your thing, whatever it is, when you're on that path, when I'm on that path, it is so easy to not see anything except what I want in that moment, whether you're a parent or whether, you, whether you're a believer looking at another, we need somebody outside of us every now and then to say, hey, do you, do you see this? Do you, do you know where this is headed? Do you know what, what's going on in your life? And the reality is, frankly, as adults, we need it even more because the, 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 destructive, the destructive possibilities of our choices just amplify, don't they? And the older we get, frankly, we get the blinder we are to our own complacency and our own self-absorption so often. the louder the alarm needs to be a 30 second timeout just isn't going to have the same effect with the woman who's about to abandon her family even when it hurts the goal is always love Paul Tripp he writes the truth is that we fail to confront not because we love others too much this hurts by the way not because we love others too much but because we love ourselves too much you know, when I read that this week, that really haunted me. Because <laughs> what he's saying there in the context is we, we, we call it loving. But for most of us, at least for me, okay? Maybe it's not you, but for me, it's because I'm afraid. I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be rejected by them. I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to create an awkward moment. At the end of the day, it's, it's mostly about Nathan when I, when I don't do this. Instead of loving them and doing the hard thing, I, I love myself, and I pick the easy thing. This is not good enough for the church that Jesus Christ creates. That's not good enough for the community that he builds. So, how do, how do we do this? How do we actually do this? And let me, I, some of you I know you're done, right? You don't want to hear anymore. I get it. I'm sorry. Uh, others of you are like, well, okay, so we've got some theory here. What does this actually look like? Because maybe you have people in your life that you're thinking, yeah, maybe I do need to say something to them. Um, what does that look like? And so, let me just close with five. I'll try to be quick. Five principles to help us when we're faced with a situation in which we feel like maybe or maybe not we should confront somebody. So five, five things. First, we've got to seek to understand the situation. We've got to begin there because so often we see the situation, right? And we think, well, I know, um, I know everything about it. I know what needs to happen. I know why this is wrong. And so I can just come in and, you know, Lone Ranger it and it'll, it'll all be fine. Um, the reality is, and I've, I've found myself in that all the time, right, where I think I know what's going on and I peel a little bit deeper and it's way messier and way deeper than I ever even realized. We can't treat every sin the same, and we can't treat every sinner either. We're all different, and every, everybody's story is different. There is no one-size-fits-all. I mean, so questions to ask there is, is this person fighting their sin, or are they wallowing in their sin? It's a big difference. Is this person a new believer? Should they, should they know better by now? How public is this sin? How, how extreme and immediate are the consequences that they're running into? There is no one-size-fits-all. Second, Second, we've got to check our own hearts. Um, Ask, like, what's my motive in confronting this person? Because for some of us, it's because we're irritated, you know, because we don't really like them in the first place. Or or maybe we're just sort of grossed out, or, you know, honestly, for some of us, it's that we're probably secretly envious of the thing they're doing, and we wish we could do that, right? But we're so much better, right? So we have this self righteous, I'm going to confront you kind of attitude. Um, We've got to check our motives. Motive has got to be love. And listen how Paul summarizes this elsewhere. And I want to read this. This is to the church in Galatia. uh, So you don't think that Paul's a jerk all the time, okay? Um, These first few weeks have been a little bit bit difficult. But listen how Paul addresses the same matter um, to the church in Galatia. He says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And look what he says next. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul knows that there's a, there's a danger in our own hearts and our own lives when we go into this. You've got to check your heart. Third, we've got to confront with love and humility. Because every one of us here uh, will stand before God. We believe Everybody. And there's not a single person in this room who will be able to stand before him on their own two feet. Can't do it. We don't measure up. We're too far gone. You might live a great life. You might have all of these moral things, sort of uh, at least on the on the surface, sort of figured out. And yet, we cannot we cannot approach a God on our own. Only only through Jesus. And so, we're we're all sort of at the same place in some ways of, of being broken. So we need to remember that that, uh, that ought to humble us, right? And yet, each of us has a role to play in each other's lives, and. That happens best in the context of trust. And so for one, uh, a great place for this to happen is probably in the context of your community groups. Um, That as you build trust there, maybe not your first week, right? Point out each other's sins. But as you build trust, as you build rapport, as you live life together, as you see into the kind of the cracks of what's going on in each other's lives, that can be a great place to be able to just gently, lovingly talk about some of these things. Jesus in Matthew 18, for example, he he says to start one-on-one. Uh, If you're ignored, maybe bring another person along or two. Um, If you're still ignored, then um, take it to a a larger group within within the church. The goal is always restoration. Uh, Fourth, we've got to recognize the power of consequences, particularly natural consequences. Because I I know this all still seems really harsh, right, for some of us and makes us really uncomfortable, makes me uncomfortable. Um, But we were created for community. And when someone in the community chooses to indulge so flagrantly in sin, so for instance, this guy... I mean, he was still there, but he'd already left. I mean, that, that's essentially what wallowing in sin does, right? You, you can be physically in a space but have been gone long before that. He'd already chosen a different route. Sin is always an act of separation, always an act from, from Christ and from his church and from one, from one another. For the church to pretend otherwise, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. And sometimes we just have to, we have to allow some of those natural consequences to take place, not, to not hide it, to not be afraid of it. And finally, last one here, um, if nothing else works, we do what Jesus said, Matthew eighteen. we do what Paul is alluding at here, is we treat that person as an unbeliever, as an unbeliever. And how do we treat unbelievers? With love, with grace, to pursue them, and, and to not, not pretend, right, to, and to not let them pretend that something is okay, that everything is just is just fine. That doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. But we share Jesus with them. We, we long for them to, to encounter who he really is. And we pray with them. We pray for, for them. And we long to see them come to faith in Jesus. And I, I know, this, this is all hard stuff. Now, you probably have a lot more questions. So do I. Maybe um, you might still just really hate this whole, this whole time together and never want to come back here, which, that's fine too, I guess. It's not fine for you, I don't think, but it's fine for us. But here, here's the deal. This is, this is what I, even though I hate messages like this, and we're, we're about to hit on several of these. I mean, I hope, you know, as a pastor, I don't, this isn't like, I'm not getting my kicks up here talking about, this is hard stuff for me because I live in the same world you do and I have the same kinds of friends and relationships and same issues in my own heart that you do. But here's, here's what I love when we do this because for me it says, it says that it's, it's not just about us when it hurts like this, when it, when it confronts us, when we don't like it, because I, I don't want to get up here and just say, well, here's some good thoughts to go live by, and all you know, we can just be happy together and all that. That's not God speaking. If God really spoke, if, he, if he's written his words down for us, and if God is holy and we are not, then it is, it is going to tick us off from time to time. It's going to confront our culture and our, our hearts and our lives, and it is going to hurt, and frankly, we're I mean, just wait, right? We're still getting warmed up in Corinthians. It hurts. But we long to hear from God. We want to be changed by him. We don't want to just sort of sit around and scratch each other's backs, right? We want to encounter the living God. And Paul says, deal with sin or it will deal with us. And don't, don't miss this. Because even though this is hard stuff, there's so much hope in a passage like this. There's hope here. I mean, even in verse 7, for example, Paul refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb, our sacrifice. And that means that there is no sin too terrible, no sin too taboo or weird or whatever, and no sinner too far gone that the love of Jesus cannot break through. And we believe that because I look at my life, and I, I'm desperate for forgiveness. I'm desperate for, for restoration in my own life. And I deserve to be judged, but he was judged for me. I deserve to be destroyed for my sins, but he was destroyed on the cross for me so that you and I could be restored. And he rose again to create a community here in this place and at every church that gathers in his name, a community of broken but restored sinners, embracing the the life as best as we can through his power, through his spirit at work within us, embracing the life that we were created for from the very beginning. So yeah, we deal with sin course we do. We're going to deal with it in here. We're going to deal with it in here. We have to, and yet we praise God that Jesus Christ, our Savior, he has dealt with our sin finally and completely for all who believe, and that he is in the process of making all things new in my heart and in yours, and he He will make it right.